Hello and welcome to When the Bible Wasn't There. My name is Marco. And I'm Josh. What do you do when the Bible doesn't seem personal and when you just can't hear the voice of God? Join us as we explore and find the deeper messages hidden within the Bible stories we thought we knew. This week, when less is more. So now we've reached the point in our story where the Israelites, they've come all the way from Egypt through the desert to now the borders of Canaan. And they're told they're going to possess this land. And if we go back in the Bible, we read that the first time that this land is mentioned that they're going to possess is when it's given to Father Abraham. Had many sons. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, in that instance, God doesn't tell him what this land is going to be like. He doesn't tell him that it's going to be fertile, that it's going to be going to make him rich, going to be good for everything he ever needs. He just says, go to a land that I will show you. And in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, Abraham went. But now the Israelites, they kind of have a different idea. You know, this land has been promised them. God has told them what it's like. He's told them that it flows with milk and honey, that it's going to be good for everything they need. And yet they come up with this idea to send 12 spies into the land. It's not God's idea. But they take it to Moses and Moses prays and God says, sure, if that's what you want to do. But let me give you some parameters. Let me give you some conditions. Yeah. The thing is that we need to take a a step back and remember in the previous episodes we were talking about how God shows himself to them Mm -hmm. and it's too much for them that they say, okay, Moses, you talk to him and then you tell us. Yeah. So we begin to see a set of behaviors to the point where they believe that now it's up to them to keep God's law. It's up to them to obey God. To the point where they come to the land, God says, okay, go possess the land. They're like, okay, yes, we will possess the land. But in order for us to possess the land, the most human way to deal with this situation is for me to send spies Mm -hmm. to see what is the condition, you know, uh, how, how large of an army we will need and then come back and tell us and then we're going to possess. They forget that all along God has been leading them Mm -hmm. and and winning their battles for them. Absolutely. And this is where they begin to go wrong. And and like you said, God doesn't tell them, ah, yeah, forget it. No, he says, all right, fine. I'm going to give some parameters. Um, But the the people that you choose, it has to be your spiritual leaders. Mm. And of course, they go to their spiritual leaders and they find 12. They find 12 and they send them. And something we should point out while we're here in the story is that these are the men that Jethro helps Moses select. These that's, are the men who are truthful, who are true. honest, who fear the Lord. We should be expecting, you know, a good outcome from this. We should be expecting them to stand for the right, though the heavens would fall. You know, that's what we said in that episode when they're chosen. But they go and 40 days pass. And, you know, I'm, I'm in that time, you know, I can imagine Israel is saying things like, well, maybe they're dead. Maybe they've been killed. Maybe, you know, they decided to not come back. They like the land so much. They're happy and they're not coming back and they're going to leave us here to die. You know, this is the kind of thinking that Israel has had this whole time. I mean, they had that thinking when Moses was up the mountain for 40 days. Exactly. So what's to stop them from thinking that way now? And then they come back and, you know, the whole camp is overjoyed. They're singing and they're dancing and they go to Moses to tell him what they've heard, what they've seen of land and what they encountered in the land. But what's interesting is, you know, everyone's around. Everyone can hear. And they're almost speaking loud enough so that the people around them can hear. And then it's like a game of telephone where it gets passed down right. deeper and deeper into the crowd of Israelites. And they're carrying these huge grapes. 
just giant graves the size of like a person's head and there, it takes two guys to carry them and every time i read the story i like think back to when i'm at the grocery store and i'm yeah. like trying to pick between all the withered gross <laughs> grapes to find that one bag that has like the good grapes in it and i'm thinking why can't i have those grapes <laughs> like that should be proof enough that this yeah. land is blessed right and also we have to remember that they have been eating manna up until now mm-hmm. you know with occasional you know flesh eating but they have been eating manna for the most part and now they get something fresh yeah like this is this is food mm-hmm. and and they're excited you know so you know just imagine you know their hopes build up and like yes it's a land of flowing with milk and honey and i can see it mm-hmm. but yep. then the spies have something else to say and this is where it gets kind of disappointing right because we talked about who these men were supposed to be what they were supposed to the, the characteristics they were supposed to have and they said you know yeah everything god told us about the land it's true it flows in milk and honey you know it's you know plentiful in food it's beautiful land but there are giants there you know we're like grasshoppers to them they have walled cities that we'd never be able to get into i don't think we can take this land no. you know they're not wrong they haven't won any of the battles themselves and they weren't going to win any of these themselves. God was going to show how powerful he was by killing those giants and by breaking down their walls. But we need to also remember that if they would have fought for a second, they came back alive. Mm-hmm. And as we read in, in Numbers 14, they had encounters with the giants. Because yeah. they said, look, we appear to be grasshoppers to them. And they appeared as giants. We were as grasshoppers. So they obviously came to an encounter where they were noticed and perceived as grasshoppers. Yeah. And yet they were not stopped. They were able to carry food mm-hmm. and they were not stopped. And this should have shown them that God's hand was protecting them, but it, it's not enough. It's not enough to prove this to them. And they go on and on. And even the fact that they say that they're like grasshoppers, they're mm-hmm. embellishing, they're exaggerating. And you can imagine this travels through the crowd. Oh, wow, there are giants there. What are we going to do? Like, we're like ants to them. And it yeah. changes as it goes. Like a game of telephone doesn't. It gets worse and worse the further back you get into the crowd. Yeah. They have tens of thousands of giants protecting all the cities. And we're never going to be able to do anything. And they have hundred feet foot tall walls. And like it just mm-hmm. the story gets crazier and crazier as the rumor of what's happening yeah. progresses. And then here come the two faithful spies. And they don't argue against anything that the ten have said. They don't correct their over-exaggeration. They don't rebuke, them. They don't rebuke them for yeah. being cowards and for distrusting God. They say, yeah, what they said is true. It's going to be a challenge. But you know what? We have God on our side. You know, the God who's helped us this whole time, who's defeated the Egyptians, who's given us water, who's given us food, who's been with us by, by a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. He's the one who's going to take that land. Not me, not you, not any of us. And somehow this doesn't really make its way through the crowd the same way. No. And to the point where later on we find that they get so desperate that they're like, we got to take them out. Yeah. I mean, they're saying it's only two. And this is where we come to the, to the heart of the lesson that we find here, where less is more. Yeah. You know, these two spies are on God's side. He's the mm-hmm. majority. You know, God is the majority. And it doesn't, it makes me wonder how many times when we come, you know, to the church, we come with high expectations. You're mentioning before how these were the men that were chosen to be the leaders. They were honest. They were true. Yeah. They were supposed to have this close communication with God. And all of a sudden, these are the very ones who it, fail. Absolutely. You know, yeah. Like I've had those experiences with people where they come to the church, they expect something beautiful and amazing and perfect and the church lets them down in some ways worse than the world did 
worse than the rest of society did. You know, there's a story that uh, Pastor Francis Chan tells. And he says there was this gang member. And he, he eventually he started having Bible studies and he got baptized in the church. And he went for a few weeks and he liked it. It seemed like he was doing good. And then suddenly he disappears. And someone runs into him elsewhere, not in the church. And they say, you know, why do you stop coming to church? And he says, you know, when I got in, when I got jumped into my gang, mm-hmm. it was like I had a whole new family. You know, mm-hmm. I could go to anyone's house and eat there, and their moms would treat me like a son. And I, I could, ha- I had so many brothers, and people would take care of me. And when I went to the church, I was expecting that and more. I was expecting the Christians to treat me like family. I was expecting them to take care of me, to you know, invite me over, to mm-hmm. fellowship with me, to do all these things with me that I was getting from the world. And he said, but I didn't get that. But let me stop you right there, because I think that this is where this is the biggest problem that we have when we expect that from the church. Yes, you know, as Christians, we need to be that. Mm-hmm. We need to be this and much more yeah. to to the people that are coming in to know God. But what happens when you uh, as Christians, when we put our trust in humans? And I think I would like to go back and point out that. This problem began right when God's people says, Lord, I mean, you know, you speak to Moses, you talk to him, we really don't want to talk to you, and then Moses will tell us what you told him. Have the leaders develop this relationship mm-hmm. with God. Yeah, and I, like you said, that's where the problem begins because it's all about that personal relationship. Yeah, And, you know, I can imagine that this gang member that we talked about just a second ago, he probably found the church very judgmental, yeah. very put-offish. And his perspective of what a church should be wasn't met. And here's the same thing. You know, these guys, they go into the land and they have a a preconceived notion of what that land should be. And it's not. And instead of understanding that God is still working through that, that God is still able to use what's there, that God is still able to show his glory through the brokenness, through the difficulty, through the struggle, they say, God can't be in this because it's not easy. I mean... (laughs) I can think on, uh, I would run out of fingers and toes of how many times I've said the same thing. God can't be in this because it's not easy. So you, and that's where we perceive God as an easy God. Yeah. You know, of a God who wants to raise free range children. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, I had this friend who once told me a story about how he wanted to raise his, his kids free range, which means letting mm-hmm. them do whatever they want. Like if you're raising free range chickens, you just clean them, you wild. just feed them wild, like yeah. no consequences, no structure. We think God is like that sometimes, you know, he lets us, well, he'll let us get away with anything. If it's meant to be his will, we'll, we'll breeze through it with no challenges. And I think it's part of God's character because he's love. And as a loving God, he has to give you options. Mm-hmm. He has to give you a free will. But not only that, if you love someone, you'll give them opportunities to grow. So here we see that part of God's love, it's allowing you to experience your own decisions. Yeah. Because... He gives us because He is love. He gives us the ability to choose, the ability to love Him, the ability of not to love Him. And part of that, we need to experience what we decide. Otherwise, we're not free agents. And this is exactly how God deals with all of us. Your decisions have to have weight or there's no free will. They have to have a consequence or they're meaningless. Like they have to affect the world around you and yourself or there's no point. And this is what God respects and understands. So when they say... We're not going to take the land. And when they want to stone Joshua and Caleb for insisting that the Lord will protect them, he says, 
we need to go back to basics. We need to go back to the building blocks of why you should trust me. Because obviously when we were in the desert, you didn't get it. Yeah. And and what happens later on after, you know, they're, they want to stone Caleb, they want to stone Joshua. For the whole night in numbers, it tells us that they're crying. Yeah. Just imagine 1.5 million people crying and crying. Because God has just told them, you know, you're going to die in the desert. Yeah. You, this generation of doubters, of people who, uh, against all my efforts, refused to learn who I was, you're going to have to go back in the desert. You're going to have to learn who I am. You're going to have to humble yourselves to give your children a chance. Yeah. To give them a shot at what you refused. Yeah. And here's uh, here's where we come back to the concept that less is more. Mm-hmm. Why? Because ever since they came out from Egypt, we see that their trials had been growing little by little. Yeah. You know, baby steps. Mm-hmm. They had to take those quizzes, which if they passed, they when can, they came they, to this big test. They can get to the final exam and ace it. And you have to build up to get to the you know final exam. I can't just jump and say, okay, professor, I'm going to take the final exam now. I don't understand any of the material. Uh, I haven't done any of the quizzes. I haven't turned in any of my group assignments, but I'm just going to take the final exam. You know, right now you were talking about that, and I remember there was this one class we had. It was a it was a difficult class, and uh, the the midterm was let me see. It was like 200 questions, 250 mm-hmm. more or less. It was a huge pack, right? Yeah. So, you know, the professor said you have to do the reading, you have to do all of that, but if you do not prepare. Your first, your first reaction when you see that stack of papers that you receive for a test, it's a blank stare. And if you haven't done the readings, you think, Professor, uh, is there any chance that we can postpone the test? Yeah. That's the first reaction. Can we change it? Like, like not now, not now. And this is how we envision, you know, God's people. They're like, okay, they saw the land. Yes, you know, we had a lot of quizzes back in the day. We probably didn't even pay much attention to them. But now when the big test comes, you're like, all right, all right, all right. I am. I'm definitely not ready for this. Uh, uh, I can't do this. I can't do this. You know, I knew a professor who, before every exam, would pray this prayer that always, like, in retrospect, makes me laugh. But you know, <laughs> being in that class, it's not as fun. He would say, "Lord, please bring to remembrance the questions and the 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 concepts that the students studied for, and only those things. <laughs> <laughs> and like, you know, like only let them ace what they prepared for. Yeah. Don't like." How should I put this? You know, don't let them get away with not having consequences. Mm. And, you know, if you understand God, you understand that that's what he's going to do anyways. Yeah. He's not going to miraculously put into your mind some theological answer that you haven't studied for. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. So with the Israelites, he's saying, you know, I can't just put the faith into you like that. I can't like just inject it into you so that you can go and take this land. You need to build it. Yeah. And that's exactly what God does. God says, all right, well, if you're not ready... Yes, I'm going to postpone the test, but it's not just postponing the test. I have to give you more quizzes. Mm-hmm. And by nature, the quizzes get harder yeah. because you've had so many opportunities. So when we go back and retrospect and, and see uh, all the quizzes that God's people were having, just remember the very first test, he sends Moses and says, I will deliver you from the hands of the Egyptians. And first test, it got harder. Yeah. And they said, what have you done to us? Mm-hmm. You should have left us alone. So first test, it goes, you know, it keeps growing, keeps growing. They don't have food. God provides manna. They don't have water. 
God provides water. And then later on, they don't have food again. God provides food. They're attacked. God protects them. Yeah. And then guess what? We want meat. God says, all right, it's not my plan, but okay, here you go. Later on, they ask for meat and God says, all right, fine. Now you have to suffer the consequences. So they had opportunity to build the faith, mm-hmm. but they really didn't take the chance to get to know God because yeah. when they had the chance, back when you know Moses came down mm-hmm. from the Mount Sinai, presented the Ten Commandments, they had a chance to know God and they said, no, you talk to God and have the spiritual leaders talk to us. Mm-hmm. And this is where they went wrong. Yeah. And you know, this is why they needed the extra study time. They needed those 40 years and they needed to train their children. But now the time for their graduation, if you will, has passed. Uh, Graduation to the promised land, it's gone. Now they can only help their children to be ready for that next, that, that, that quiz that's coming, that big test. And this is just too much for them. They're, they're crying. And even more than that, the the Bible says they're, they're sorrow throughout the camp. Like, like if, you know, a multitude has died, like like if some horrible plague has befallen the camp, they're weeping and they're tearing their clothes. And they're saying, no, we don't want to go back to the desert. And the instigators, the 10, you know, they perish in a plague. Yeah. They're killed um, with this disease that comes upon them. And now they're like, you know, we can't stay in the desert. We can't do this. We need to go and take this land. We need it. We can't do this. Yeah. And it's almost like when the professor says, okay, we're going to have to, you know, postpone it, but we're going to put an extra 10 questions on it. You're like, no, 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 no we'll take it now. We'll take it now. <laughs> we're, we're good. Yeah. <laughs> you're not ready. You're still not ready to take it. Yeah. But you know that, you know, you're yeah, da- worse. Yeah. And you're doubting that you're going to use the extra time properly. You're doubting that you're going to use it because what have you proven that you're going to, you use your time wisely to begin with. Yeah. You had all this time in the desert and you couldn't learn who he was. You had all this time to prepare for your exam and you couldn't do it. So what is an extra, you know, week, w- week going to do? Doesn't do much. And they're like, you know, well, I can't come here anyways. It's my children who are going to come here, so I need to get it while I can. I need to go mm. now. And Joshua and Caleb, they they hear this. And now they're running to and fro and they're saying, "No, don't do this. God is not with you. He's told you his his plan, his you know, his plan to teach you and to build you into what he wants you to be. Just go back. Just take the quizzes. Just let your children possess the land with the hand of God on their side. Don't do this. And think for a second. At this point, Joshua and Caleb, they were the ones that were on fire for God. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we can do this because God is on our side. Yeah. You don't hear a peep out of them. They're not complaining. They're not, uh, they're not telling God, hey, uh, why should I suffer for their sake? And here we begin to see another element of what true repentance should look like. Yeah. Because true repentance is when you are sorry for hurting someone. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have seen some people that apologize in a very interesting way to say the least. They say, okay, look, I'm sorry if it made you feel that way, but you don't recognize your mistake. You know, they won't recognize their mistake. Like, I'm sorry I did this, but uh, I'm just sorry because you got hurt. Yeah, not I'm, because I'm sorry you, I, I'm sorry you think you deserve an apology. <laughs> like <laughs> pretty like much. That. Yeah. yeah, pretty much. So, and this, this is exactly what happens to, to the children of Israel. They're not really sorry. Mm-hmm. They're sorry they won't go in. That's all. Yeah. But what they don't understand at this point is that sin, rebellion, selfishness, uh, doubt, it's not something that, you know, you just throw out there. It has no consequence. The greatest consequence it has is that it breaks the heart of God. And if we're going to be sorry about anything, that's what we should be sorry for. Yeah. But they don't get that. They still don't get that after everything, after visibly seeing God's character being thrown, God's heart, his essence of who he is being thrown on the ground and shattered after sin with the golden calf. They still don't get 
that sin breaks the heart of God. Yeah, and here we come back to the to the concept of trust, mm-hmm. right? Because here they have broken God's heart because they have not trust Him. You know, one time I was talking to this couple. Um, you know, they they were dating and and they were asking me some questions, and then I asked them, okay, what is the worst thing that could happen in your relationship? Like, what 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 would be the thing that would have the most devastating consequences? They paused for a second. They're like, if I would realize that my partner did not trust me, that would be devastating. Mm-hmm. Because think for a second. I mean, trust has a lot of uh, consequences, or yeah. the lack thereof has a lot of consequences. If you don't trust someone. You're not going to trust them to be faithful. Mm-hmm. If you don't trust them to be faithful, you will be unhappy and so many other things. And this this was a huge deal. Exactly. Yeah. I heard it put like this once, you know, someone was having a conversation and the person they were with asked them, what's more important, trust or love? Mm. Right. That's a good one. You know, and the person answers trust because, you know, if I don't trust you, the love is eventually going to fade. The love is going to mm. feel betrayed. The love is going to feel broken, but I'll still love you. I just won't know how to be with you anymore. Yeah. How can you be with someone who, yes, you might love them, but at any second you feel like they could betray you? That's true. And this is where God is at with the Israelites. He loves them so much, but... He wants to build trust. He wants to build trust. From the very start. And that's the thing. He knows that they can trust him, but they don't believe it. They don't feel it. And yet he's shown them over and over again, no matter what you're going through, I'm here for you. No matter how many times you break my heart and you make it so that I know I can't trust you to follow mm-hmm. me. I can't trust you to be loyal. I'm here still trying. I'm still here, you know, trying to help you become the nation I know you can be. The people I know you can be. You know, he's viewing them as his bride. The one that he sees and the way he views all of us. Past the brokenness, past the hurt, past all the scars. You know, he sees us in the perf- in his perfection. Mm-hmm. When we put his righteousness on, that's how he views us. You know, as whole, as whole people in him. Yeah. And yet we don't see that, even though that's what he's trying to get us to. Absolutely. So then we continue here <clears throat> with a narrative, and then God's people take a, decide that they're going to take the land now, and they decide to go to war. And like you said, Josh and Caleb, they're trying to advise against that. Don't go, don't go, don't go. But they decide, okay, we're going. And they decide to go. And according to the Bible, it says that the city was on a hill. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if you know anything about strategy, it's never good to not have the high ground. Yeah. You know, that's a place of weakness. It's a place of, you know, vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And here they are getting arrows shot at them, rocks thrown at them. You know, they're trying to get up a hill and they're going up this narrow path. And soldiers are getting picked off one by one as they round a corner. So many of them are dying. And yet you might wonder in the back of your head, well, God says he loves these people. Mm -hmm. He says he cares about them. Where is he now? Why isn't he saving their lives? Why isn't he just snapping his fingers and destroying that city? Like we know he can. Yeah. But I think God needed to show them that their plan didn't work. Mm -hmm. Because from the very beginning, you know, we were talking that it was their idea. We're going to recognize the land. And this is the land that they have recognized. Mm-hmm. You know, they send the spies. They know exactly how the land is. And by the way, 10 of them knew how the land was. So they decide to go. Yeah, They got the report. They got the memo. Everything is there according to their plan, but it didn't work. And that's because God wasn't with them. You know, God didn't send them to them. He said, no, well, you need to go ahead and learn the lessons of faith back mm-hmm. in the desert. But now they decide they're going to go there. And Numbers tells us that they suffered great losses. Yeah. 
great losses. And it's still like, why though? Why God? Why do you have to let people die to get a point across? Can you get that point across some other way? Can you educate them about how their plan will fail without all of these people dying? And I think it even boils more than God wanting to make a point because Mm -hmm. that's kind of harsh. That's kind of brutal. And that's not the kind of God that I would say most of us believe in. What I would say here is that God is saying, you want to go somewhere that I can't go with you. You're not, you're not walking in my spirit. You're not trusting me. I've told you I can't go with you. And you still insist, I'm going to have to stay back, but I'm not going to stop you because I'm not going to stop your free will, but I can't be there to protect you. Yeah. And it's out of a respect for the choices that were made. You know, they say all these things we can do. They say we will take the land. They say, uh, you know, we God can't. God is not powerful enough. Why did He lead us here? Why did Moses lead us here? And then when their their consequences brought down, and not even really almost a consequence, more of a correction, more of a loving correction. You know, they can't handle it, and now they run to try and do what only God can do. And it boils back down to legalism. You know, when we fail at keeping God's law by ourselves, and we say, "I'm going to try harder this time," it doesn't uh, work. It well. doesn't work. Yeah. It usually ends in disaster and suffering. And this is what happens with the Israelites. They are they find themselves in legalism. They are trying to do, yes, what God has commanded to be done. But if you do what God if you try and do what God has commanded to be done by yourself, you're only gonna find yourself more broken, bloody, and beaten than you were before. Yeah. You know, if they would have taken God at his word and said, All right, fine, let's go to the desert, God would have protected them. Mm. You know, God is able to work with you, but when you decide that you're going to deliberately disobey what he has told you. He can't be there. Yeah. He can't be there. And as we said earlier, you know, it is part of God's love in order to allow us to experience the decisions that we make. Because that's being a free free person. Yeah. So in summary, we see one of the biggest dangers in our Christian life, and that is trying to do it by ourselves. And then also, we need to remember that when we talk about the majority, the majority is always with God. Whether it's a lot, whether it's a few, it's it's few more often than mm-hmm. not, but it's always with a few. And also to remember that it isn't the small things of life that our faith is built. You know, it's interesting because one of my favorite authors, she actually says that God is always the majority. No matter what, no matter how many people are fighting against you, no matter what's going on in the world, God is always the majority. And we see this with the case of Elijah and his servant, right? You know, they are surrounded by an army. And his servant, he's freaking out. Like, he's like, we're not going to make God out of this. We're going to die. They're going to kill us. And Elijah, why are you so calm? And Elijah's like, Lord, open his eyes. Let him see what I'm seeing through the eyes of faith. Through the eyes of faith. And the servant, you know, he he looks and he rubs his eyes to make sure he's seeing things right. And he squints and he's like, oh my goodness, the army is surrounded by another army. That army outnumbers the enemy's army. And this is the point that no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter how many people are against you, no matter how broken the world makes you feel, how scared the giants in your life may seem, God is there to say, if you're with me, you're in the majority. And less is more.